Hey lifers, this is Heather Drew. Uh, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to give a little intro to this episode. Um, this is a great episode. It turned out so well. I had one of my dearest friends in the world, Ryan Thomas Neese, uh, join me for this episode. And what's great because this podcast to some degree is a massive result of, is, is in great part due to him saying, hey, we should record our conversations sometime <laughs> because we talk about really interesting stuff. And uh, it's kind of how this all got started like two years ago in my brain. So uh, he joined me for this episode. It's a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. We both had a great time recording it and we really hope you enjoy it as well. The caveat is this. We were having some serious technical difficulties. Um, I won't tell you how long we struggled with technology stuff beforehand, before we even recorded this, but all that to say, you will hear some snaps, crackles, and pops in the background. You're going to hear some like cell phone interference occasionally, um, in true form. I'm just trying to keep it real. So enjoy and please forgive me on the, uh, technical difficulties, but I think you're going to love it anyway. This is life, right? Okay. Enjoy. Hello, lifers. This is Heather Drew, and this is the Life in the Whirlwind podcast. Today is episode 17, and today is a treat and a half for me and for you. We have a visiting voice with us today. Uh, today on the podcast, we will have we're having Ryan Thomas Niece, who's a dear friend of mine. Uh, you probably already know him, given that I've talked about him at least four times <laughs> the last 10 episodes. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And um, Ryan is a therapist in the St. Louis area. He is the founder and owner of Change Incorporated in St. Louis. And he's also getting his PhD in counselor ed at University of Missouri St. Louis campus. And he is fabulous on many levels, the main reason that I uh, became friends with him was because of his writing that I was drawn to. And then we kind of became friends over time. It's very cool. Mm. It's a cool story. It yeah. is a cool story. So um, today, a couple episodes ago, I talked about process. And I said somewhere in the middle of that podcast episode, something along the lines of there's going to be an episode just on process. And so... I can't think of anyone better to do this episode with than Ryan because your flattery is will get you <laughs> well, everywhere. Keep going. Yes, I'm enjoying this. A big part of our our uh, friendship is actually practicing process. It's sort of a, a place that I do that myself. Um, Ryan is engaged in it. He's practicing it, and he is safe to do that with for me. So. I thought it would be just right to have him on for this episode to talk about process. Um, and it's okay if you are finding yourself being like, what is process? Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what we're going to talk about today. You're going to know by the end of this episode if we do our jobs well. So, Ryan, is there anything you want to say just to begin with? To say hello? Mm, no, stuff. you've done a good job. Hi, everybody. That'll okay. do it right there. <laughs> I I do need to mention that we've had some technological frustrations this morning that's but, a uh, mild understatement <laughs> but we we persevere this is important and we need to make it happen so fingers crossed this will all go well and you'll be hearing this soon okay ryan so, so very general way of starting how would you describe process what it is well Sometimes I think it's easier to describe in the context of therapy, actually. And then we can kind of extrapolate it into real life. Sure. But in therapy, I always, I actually explain this for clients some of the time. Um, and I definitely explain it to other people who are going to, who are studying therapy or want to become therapists. But the long and short of it is in therapy, there's always two things happening. Um, one of them is what we call content and process. And I always do this little dangly 
two two fingers thing. People um, can't see you, right? No, I know, but it's I want them to. Visualize me having my fingers in the air dangling them. It's not remotely relevant, but uh, it's what I do anyways. So two things going on in therapy, content and process. Um, content is just really the subject matter. Uh, whatever we might happen to be talking about that day could be um, something from somebody's family of origin or their current functioning, um, you know, whatever they, has sort of brought them into therapy that day or whatever they want to talk about that day. And that's really important. I mean, those are, those are the facts. That's people laying out for you what's going on. But then there's always something secondary happening, this thing that we're talking about called process that's really, I, I actually think it's where most of the magic happens in therapy. Process is sort of what's transpiring between the counselor and the client. Um, and, you know, process is in normal everyday life is the one thing we don't actually talk about. Um, so it's the, all the little things that are transpiring that we're sort of aware of at some level, subconsciously or consciously, but we don't really talk about them. Is this making sense to you? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's all, it's like the layers underneath what's being said. Yes, Exactly. So in, in polite conversation, it's precisely the thing you don't talk about. If I'm, in other words, if I'm talking to you and all of a sudden you say something that's kind of mildly offensive to me, but we're out having lunch and there, maybe there are other people around or maybe it's just you and me and I don't really bring that up. Um, and the reason why we bring it up in therapy, uh, appropriately timed and all of that, it's not as though every single thing that happens we immediately attend to it, but... If we're talking in therapy and I get the sense that I've said something offensive and or they're having a particular maybe facial expression or body language that's saying that they're not being responsive to me, if I ignore that for too long, particularly in a private practice setting, people simply don't come back. And sometimes they don't even know why they don't come back because they're not as mm. they're only attending to it subconsciously or unconsciously. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so much of this is my favorite subject, attention. Like, what are you paying attention to when you're interacting with a person? And you're saying a lot of people don't pay attention to what's happening below the surface. Or they do, and we've been socialized to kind of not mm -hmm. uh, bring it out into the open. So I'd say in therapy, the reason why therapy is magical is because I can be working with someone and I can say, hey... How's this going between us right now? I mean, I, I know we're kind of talking about your life or we're talking about your family or talking about the fact that you're depressed and kind of trying to understand that. But how are we doing? What's going on between me and you as we discuss this? And so, for example, in therapy, people might say things like, well, no, a minute ago you said this and, you know, we were kind of talking about my family and I was actually kind of, you know, I, I can kind of talk bad about my family, but whenever you said it, I actually felt a mm. twinge of like, ooh, I wish you hadn't said that. Mm. And that gives me an opportunity then to actually work with that, to go, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. What what about, what did I say exactly that was hurtful? Or what about that was hurtful? Or Because oftentimes, obviously in therapy, I'm not trying to hurt people, but I've said something um, that to me seemed relatively benign, but that was really meaningful for them. And imagine that in, in a one-hour therapy session, we've got, you know, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20 of these little micro-processes that are happening that we're not really paying attention to. And then imagine that in your daily life, gosh, I mean, I don't know, hundreds each day, and we never attend to any of them, and then we can't figure out sometimes, why do I have ought towards this person? Even though, ostensibly, our, our observable exterior relationship seems fine. Yeah. Yeah. I can think of at least a dozen situations, even in the last week where something's happened between me and another person. And I sort of had this moment where I zoomed out and I was like, what is happening for this person? Cause this is not just about what we're talking about. This is something else mm. going on. And what tipped you off to that? It felt like it was heavier than the situation called for. Their response and there was, was some facial stuff and some body language stuff yeah. that I wondered about. Yeah. Yeah. So they're reacting to you, but they're also reacting to whatever's transpiring for them on this sort of sub level that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is so many people 
I get, well, I don't want to say so many, I don't know. Like, I wonder what part of how, what percentage of the population is actually aware of what's going on with them inside yeah. of them. Yeah. I what think what would you say is the value of that? I mean, talk about that maybe a little bit. The value of self-awareness. Yeah. Um, what's it valuable for? Hmm. Well, it's a, it's a difficult question to unpack because um, when you're saying there, you're wondering like how many people are really aware. It's probably uh, dependent on a bajillion factors, you know, about yeah. uh, family of origin and uh, ability to cope. And um, in other words, like, so if we try to, you know, assess what's the value of self-awareness, well, certainly most change begins there. Um Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe others pointing things out to us first, and then we become self-aware. It's probably, I guess, the implicit value is that it's probably indispensable to change. Hmm. Yeah. It, it may not be the first thing. In other words, somebody else might be aware of your need, your deficit before you are, but you're you're shortly to be next in line if if something's going to change. But I guess it occurs to me that for some people, self-awareness may have a lower value because they're a part of a system that doesn't necessarily value change um, or they're part of a system that's really vested in hiding things. Um, mm, I think a lot yes. of like religious communities are like this um, mm. intentionally and unintentionally. We have things about ourselves that are very hidden in our shadow and don't really want anyone to know them. And we don't really want to know them sort of our unacceptable self or you know shadow self. So I don't know, maybe the value of self-awareness is subjective. For us as therapists, we, you know, in the therapy room, we eat it up. But even in our own lives, sometimes we are, you know, we value it for our clients. <laughs> you know, right. we don't always yeah. value it for ourselves as much. <laughs> Indeed. It's easier to tell someone else to try something. Yeah. I've been trying not to do that. I'm trying to go first. <laughs> Practice that in my yeah, life. Yeah, it's tough though, right? I mean... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's painful a lot of times. That's, you know, self-awareness is nice whenever you're aware that you're, you know, acting in line with your own value system. But whenever you're become aware that you're not, you're painful. Yeah. yeah. We live in a culture so that really doesn't value things if they're painful by and large. That is very interesting. Yeah, I think uh, you and I both like uh, Rainier maria rilke rilke but yeah. um he there was something that i read by him the other day like what tells us anxiety and depression and melancholy aren't doing something incredibly deep and important and mm. essential mm. it's just such a it's interesting our culture does sort of tell us like nope pain is bad um avoid it at all costs don't be in distress and yes i personally stand by the idea that Learning to stand in the midst of distress is actually far more valuable. Hence the name of this podcast, Life in the Whirlwind, not Outside Yeah, the right, whirlwind. exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard because there are certainly, that's not to say that there aren't um, situations in which pain is, I always say that there's two kinds of pain. There's the kind of pain that's just sort of self-sabotaging and... Um, I don't know. I, I think there is a necessary. Yeah, almost. There's a pain Unusable. that's meaningless. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then there's a pain that that is life giving. There's a fruit bearing, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, what I'm usually telling clients whenever I'm sort of making this pitch to them is that you're going to have pain, so mm -hmm. choose which one you want, you know. And I think probably maybe to connect it to self awareness, the the pain that is ultimately fruit bearing is the kind in which we become more and more aware of ourselves. You talked a while back about the Johari window and the whole, mm -hmm. um, you know, closing that quadrant that is unknown to everyone, unknown to me and unknown to others. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe pain is the most meaningful when it's connected to uh, some self-awareness, some growth in self-awareness, kind of like yeah. the, the pain of the, of the sun that comes shining in and your eyes it takes time for you to adjust. Mm -hmm. you know? Very interesting. Yeah. So true. 
Ooh, there's so many places you can go with that, but I'm trying to stay focused. No, you can. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. Let's tangent. You know, you and I are good with tangents. We can do whatever we want. That's right. So I have been, I've spent the last couple of years really thinking a lot about shame because, I mean, I, I read a lot of Brene Brown. Mm. Um, I've also heard several interpersonal neurobiology specialists talk about this like how much shame plays a role in our lives. And so I'm very interested in, you know, I found that it's just kind of, it comes along with this self-awareness business because I've noticed myself trying to hide in certain situations. Yeah. No shock to you, but you've seen <laughs> it happen in person, but it's this sort of like it, that we have this inclination to literally curl up sometimes like, yeah, put our hands you know body language says so much it's just this like yeah, how many times have face, you like, put or, your yeah. put your hand in front of your face right. and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal but you're actually literally hiding yeah so what and talk about that like what where does wait, wait where does that come from with this? you though where does that come from well i'm just i'm wondering you know how how you see shame play out in process like what have you seen what kinds of things do you see? It doesn't have to be therapy necessarily, but even in conversation with people that you're close with or friends or whatever. Um, do you understand my question? I do. Makes sense. I'm curious. How does where where does that come from from you? Where does the urge come from? Uh, you don't have to unpack your whole um, life, but, <laughs> but like I, I think it will help me springboard. Where where does it come from for you? Well, I think what you were talking about before the shadow self. It's like this is not acceptable. So I tend to, maybe I tend to like cover my face. Like if I've just said something and I'm like, oh, nope, social norm just got broken or whatever, you know what I mean? And then I cover my face or I, I, I'm a, I'm a very emotional person and lots of different experiences from my past have taught me Mm. or maybe, you know, taught me in quote air quotes here, um, have formed me to believe that emotion is not okay to yeah. like show express in public. Um, obviously there's, you know, discretion in how much emotion is shown in public for me. Like I had to find that out myself, what I'm yes. willing to show and not, but, but you can also really t- I I am now very able to tell because of process, because I'm aware of stuff that's going on in me when I'm interacting with other people, I'm able to better pick up, oh, I'm like diminishing this because I'm afraid that this person's not going to accept this. Yeah. And so that's part of my own process. It's just happening in me that I don't actually choose to share with others. And I, I think there's some shame involved in that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we get trained to sort of, um, by our own doing or by lessons we learn in family or it's sort of, or, or just how our culture tends to operate uh, on a day by day basis. I mean, I think we learn, you know, I'm, th- I'm thinking these days a lot about my children who are in, you know, young elementary school and, but some of the really, you know, painful things that happen when you're out of the nest and you're in school and you're dealing with other children and, um, and we carry those with us, and then they're operative in our lives, whether or not we know it. And so, um, so shame is sort of like the antithesis of out loud process, uh, mm-hmm. talking about process. I can't say what's really going on for me because I've been sort of conditioned by a variety of things, again, family of origin, early childhood experiences, adolescent experiences, adult experiences, my own thinking um, that it's not okay to say what's really going on for me. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of the things that like in therapy, it's so nice to foster an environment for people where they really feel unconditionally accepted that they can kind of say, you know, sometimes their deepest, darkest things, um, and with with little or no fear of judgment, or if they do fear judgment, they can then say, hey, I'm talking to you about this really difficult thing. Mm-hmm. I'm scared that you might be judging me. 
and I get a chance to respond to that. And then, again, extrapolating it out of the therapy room, I've learned to take this into my friendships as well. I'm sitting at the coffee shop, as I tend to do with friends of mine, and we're just talking, and I notice things. I notice they, they, you know, their eyes kind of, they avert eye contact. They uh, take a deep breath, or they're holding their breath. It's just a cue to me to tune in to how is what I'm saying impacting them and what's going on for them right now. And so sometimes I will literally stop and go, is this okay? You seem like maybe you're tense or, you know. Um, yes. It's so interesting. Like, this is why I loved, yeah, like we have great conversations, obviously. Yeah, we do. And it's so interesting because it's like, I, I, it's very hard to find people who are willing to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's very, it's actually even hard to find people with whom you can, you can say, Hey, I'm noticing your, your eyes are looking away and I'm noticing yeah. like you're something changed for you. Some people actually feel offended by that. Yeah. Just me asking that question. So, it's which just, I guess we can appreciate what's that. Yeah, I you know again remember I guess if people have are are reared in or are currently in a whole lot of systems that don't support uh, real talk, then I, right, you know, they Ugh, would real talk. Yeah, yes. And yes. actually, let's let's give them even a further benefit of the doubt. We don't we have to be careful, particularly once you start to finally hone the ability of tuning into like two layers of you know, at least two layers of conversation, the, the exterior layer and the sort of process sub layer we're talking about because I don't know. We don't, people feel invaded when we do yeah, that, you right. know, even though it's this thing that's transpiring in the external universe. I saw you hold your breath. I saw you avert eye contact. I saw you, um, sigh, whatever it is, you know, um, people don't, they feel very known. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe in a way that they don't really want us to know them. And that's okay, too. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, That's a very good, important point and lesson for all this, too, is, like, process is great. And I think you can find a lot of healing in it. I think you can – I think it's a very powerful experience and, and practice. Um, I also think I have – personally been with people and this is hard if, if i'm feeling this way like i like going to intense places i right. like going to deep places right. and not everybody does and so if no. i'm feeling pride into that means something's going to maybe something's going a little too far like someone yeah. like and then i actually have this moment where i say to that person help me understand why you're asking me these questions. Like, why are you prying this deep? What do you hope yeah. to get from this? Yeah. So, you know, I'm putting this out there, not just for us and processing this itself, but oh, that's like meta. I'm processing. Yeah. Processing process. while we're processing. Yeah. <laughs> but putting this out there for like, if you're the kind of person and you're not, and you're, someone's trying to, you know, point these things out to you and you're feeling uncomfortable, maybe just saying out loud, Hey, I'm not sure I'm really ready to go there yet. Yeah. Um, but I'll think about what you're saying. And if you you're know, the, just as a safety net. Yes. If you're the person who is um, doing the poking, right. it's about you becoming sensitive to how that's received by others again. So like when, we, when you start having process talk with someone, you can't stop being aware of process. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking to the, to, you know, the, I, Hey, I noticed that you, but as I'm saying what I noticed, I still have to be sensitive uh, yeah. because they may, uh, you know, not want to go there or they may not want to go there with me. And also maybe secondarily, it's about me uh, going back to the self-awareness piece. It's hard to talk with people about the sub layer if I'm not really aware of my own stuff and my own motivations. I mean, you do occasionally meet people who are really good at picking up on subtext and sub and process, but their um, motivations are not always good. Um, they are seeking, yes. seeking to expose you, seeking to manipulate you, seeking to um, feel, feel about themselves. Maybe. Yeah. Feel dominant in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're, um, I don't know. 
remember which episode I said this in, but it is interesting. I think we tend to, when we feel powerless, we tend to go to places that have made us feel powerful in the past mm-hmm. and slightly abuse that power. So yeah. And I think thing to keep an eye out for, I've witnessed a lot of beginning uh, counselors who are getting their feet wet, who have this newfound tool, this like new skill that they've developed to be able to do this. And they use it all the time on friends and family and stuff like that. Mm, and, and there's yeah. a reason why our code of ethics says we don't do therapy with friends and family. <laughs> yeah. But we kind of For do it in a pseudo sake. way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so maybe knowing our own motives and then, um, mm. is important. Yeah. That's interesting. So, you kind of talked about that, this already, but um, I imagine that a lot of people listening to this are wondering, what is required, We again, we've already t- articulated a lot of this, but what's required of both people in the midst of process? We've already talked about um, motivation, being aware of mo- your motivations, if you're the one inviting the person into process, um, but also, you know, talk about what's how, how do you know you're safe in process like how do you how do you do it quote unquote well yeah in a in a friendship in particular because i think right that's more likely to go to the unsafe route man that's a good question i'll let you know when i figure that out <laughs> um, well so you talked about johari window so yeah i just I think, you know, I'll throw this out and then you talk, say what you think, but it's hard when you're trying to be in process with someone who isn't as open Yes. or is maybe more open. So you kind of have to fall within a certain range of openness. Um, And also openness doesn't just mean output, but like receptivity. So, I mean, how does somebody know if they're receptive or open? Yeah, I think most of this is anytime I'm trying to sort of process with someone, I'm aware of I, I am I try to lead with myself. So, mm. um I'm modeling a little bit. I I'm, you know, fairly open guy. I really am. Like I I would say like of the 100% of my life like High eighties or nineties, even oh, is yeah, you're in the nineties. You think? Okay, <laughs> yeah. it's open and visible, and then the other, you know, let's say five or eight percent is still um, accessible, um, based on my discretion, based on where I'm at at that on that particular day, based on who the person is sitting across from me. But all that to say, you know, because I have such a high level, I I'm meaning that as modeling, and while I'm doing that. So in other words, maybe that's a key. It's is that this thing needs to be bi-directional. So if you're sitting in a in a coffee shop across from someone on a regular basis and you're doing this thing where you're you're kind of always attending to what's going on for them, but there's there's nothing going on for you. I wouldn't call that that's possible that that's that's one style of mentorship, I suppose. Um, I'm not sure I'd call that friendship. It seems so mm-hmm. it would be seem so lopsided. But for me, having a high level of disclosure about my own process, and then while I'm doing that, I'm noting what's going on for them. Mm. What What is it like for them to sort of be along for the ride while I'm talking out loud about what's really going on for me, you know? And sometimes yes, it's yeah. uncomfortable just then, which, mm. which ought to say to me then, oh, I'm going to need to be really tender with them mm. uh, around the stuff that that is of a similar nature in their own lives and respect Mm -hmm. them, respect them as a sentient being that doesn't have to tell me anything when they don't. Sometimes I'll say, yeah, that's cool. Like I get it. It doesn't seem like you really want to talk about it. I totally get it. Yeah. And I'm sort of, so I'm sort of process talking there, you know, (laughs) being able to say out loud, we're kind of trying to get at this thing that you don't seem to really want to get at. Um, I don't know. I just, I just tend to, I think that our like ability to pick up on this stuff is like not a license to um, invade people. Mm-hmm. And it's true. And I think, you know, we've got to be easy on ourselves to other, to another degree too, or 
you try it you have to kind of try it first to see it like i have this very specific i'm like act assess adjust this is like mm. my way of life i like do something i try something and then i'm like oh that didn't go so well what didn't go well okay i'm going to adjust it and try yeah. it this way yeah so, really operationalizing that moment by moment and conversation right right yeah it, when you were just saying that it was interesting because um, one of the things I noticed early on in our friendship when yeah. we were having conversations is you would process a bunch. I'm interesting to see. I'm you... interested to see what this is. Yeah. <laughs> and then you would say, "Yeah, what do you think about all that?" Like you were, it was yes. it was just very interesting. It was like you were talking and you were modeling, and then you would say, "Okay, now it's your turn." Like yes. I'm inviting you in, and that's that was like one of those times when I knew you were safe, <laughs> mm. it was like an end to like, Oh, this isn't just a one way thing where he wants to unload his process on me. He wants to hear yes. from me. This is a given really and, take. and yes. it's positive. It's a very it's, unique and nice experience. Oh, I'm glad it, it, it's like, um, I, as you're saying that one of the things that's happening for me is like, I feel my own levels of self-consciousness about who I am. Uh, and, person-to-person conversations because I can um, brevity is not always a strong suit of mine I can be long-winded in other words um, and it always is really meaningful for me when people can wait me out because I'm I'm processing out loud I mean and, and maybe this is another thing too that's important I'm an external processor mm-hmm. so I can I can spontaneously talk about what's going on with me and be able to access that. And it may take me a few minutes to get there, but then I I'm out with it and this is where I'm at. And then I, it really is always meaningful for me when people are able to wait for me because then when I'm finished, I'm so genuinely interested in hearing what they have to say, but it can be mistaken as, you know, Ryan just wants the floor and it's like, no, 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 no. I need the floor to be able to process what's happening right now. And maybe part of making processing safe then for, for people who, uh, my wife is an internal processor, so she needs to, to kind of hear what's, you know, be in the moment and then go away and think about it for a while. And then she can come back and kind of tell you where she's at. That's part of that's part of how she understands the world. Um, mm-hmm. And so sometimes when part of making process talk safe in friendships and relationships period is being able to give people the space that they need to handle whatever disclosures you've made about subtext. Right. And not reading it or choosing to interpret that as, you know, resistance. Yes. Classic, uh, extrovert mistake right there. Yes. Or introvert. It's, it's external process. I'm an introvert. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You are right. Yeah. Yeah. But I am totally an external processor. That's right. Yeah, and a... I have made the mistake so many times in my life of watching internal processors fold in and me be like, "Uh oh, no, this yeah, is we feel, no, yes. come on, come on, it's time to share." You yes. Know? Yeah, <laughs> and I don't. I don't know out. if you do this. I tend to like project all of my, you know, all here out comes Ryan's uh, vast array of insecurities mm-hmm. that will now fill in the blanks as you fold inward. <laughs> You don't like me. You think I'm too much. You think I'm a know-it-all. You think I'm, you know, all these things that I, you know, really deeply fear that come flying out all over you simply because you need space to process. Yeah. Well, that's a vulnerable thing to say. Thanks. Welcome. Um, okay. I have a list of questions here that I keep looking down at. Yeah, I know. And I'm like, oh, yeah, these are the things I'd like to talk about. And maybe we'll get around to them and maybe we won't. Um, we shall see. <laughs> what do you love about process? Like you personally, Ryan. I love that it makes the room feel safer to me. I've been in a lot of communities. I'll be frank, most of them Christian church. And then I was also worked for a long time at a, I worked and went to school at a, large Christian university. And I always felt like there were two messages going on all the time. And at the core, when it came to like, you know, spirituality and stuff, it was always sort of this message of God loves you. 
but kind of not really. Um, and then when, as it just regarded my interactions with people, there was just a lot of subtext all the time. There was just a, and I always was off put by it. And it wasn't until I got quite a bit older that I was able to acknowledge that that was what was transpiring because I wanted to see these people as, well, just as not being that way. Um, Mm -hmm. and so for me, when it's all out on the table, when we can talk about the fact that you just bristled when I said something or uh, how uncomfortable I felt when you said this, uh, etc. I don't know, man. I feel a lot safer. It's all mm-hmm. kind of out on the table. And don't get me wrong. Everybody still holds some things back and, and as they should. We all need right. like a reserve for that's just for me or just for me and, uh, you know, my significant other or just for me and, uh, you know, whatever my spiritual life consists of. Or, but um, I value safety, and safety comes with high levels of disclosure uh, interpersonally and relationally for me. I'm not sure that everyone else is like that. Is that what do you think about that? What, does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> See, there you go. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. So, okay, so I have to tell this story because it's just do it burn, burning within me. So I ride the train to and from my job in the city, and I rode the train recently and there's a quiet ride car at the front of the train, which I love, of course, because it's yeah. like my introvert happy place. Yeah. And so I am on the quiet ride car and there are these two women who are truly divulging every single thing about like I'm a therapist. I've heard everything like the deepest parts of themselves. And I'm sitting there as I do people like reading I'm like reading the situation I'm like do they know each other do they not like what's happening here why are they divulging all this information on train do they know they're on the quiet car so that like every single person is uh yes keep going you good yes sorry sorry (laughs) I thought my I I thought my thing stopped recording it definitely did (laughs) oh my gosh that was terrifying. Um, so start there with your scared. little, um, we can edit this, right? <laughs> start with your point, yeah. part about, so I'm sitting there listening. It's kind of what you're, where you're at. Yeah. So I'm sitting there listening to all this, all the stuff that they're saying. And then, you know, I finally like just give up listening. I'm tired. <laughs> and so the one woman gets to her stop and she's like, it was so nice to meet you. What's your name? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and like truly these women had just met and divulged wow. every single fact about themselves that they could think of. I mean, it was like it was shocking to me. Like yeah. again, if it's shocking to me, it's pretty shocking. Yeah. Um so that's the I I have a friend who calls this instimacy. It's like mm. <laughs> this sort of jumping in full speed with somebody. And I think that there's a a really big danger to that in the sense of like coming back to motivation. Yeah. Why are you doing this? You know, what's happening for you that you are sharing this? And of course, then I put on my lens of like, wouldn't it be great if you could share this with someone who does know you? Right. Um, But that's just trying not to judge, but it's just more my hope. I guess. No, it doesn't sound like a judgment. It, it, you're, um, I think it's naivete to, you know, share everything with someone really instantly like that. Um, it doesn't, that's not to say it universally goes bad. Um, I think, I think at minimum, a lot of times when you hear two people with profoundly high levels of disclosure who really don't know one another. It's really more about each person's own individual process. Like they're not really having an exchange. It's Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here and kind of vomiting on you. And then you're kind of vomiting back Mm -hmm. on me and we both feel good about whatever we've just said, but we didn't, (laughs) it wasn't actually an exchange. Yeah. No, there was like no deep hearing on the other side because this person doesn't know me well enough to really hear me. Right. Um, and, and again, I, I, like as a, as a self-contained value, it might feel good to disclose something to a perfect stranger specifically because they're a specific, uh, a total stranger and you won't have to see mm-hmm. them again. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not really the same kind of exchange we're talking about in friendship. Right. It, it costs you something to have high levels of disclosure with friends. And it costs, mm-hmm. costs them something to listen to you and, and carry that with you, whatever you disclose. If I hear somebody tell me something on a train, I discard it when I leave, you know. And that's not the same thing. That's more, yeah. I again, yeah. I, I hear you on the judgment thing. Like it doesn't have to be bad, right? Uh, right. But it's, it's not just something different. It's qualitatively not right. It's different. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is different. I wanted to make sure I made that uh, that differentiation yeah. out loud because I think it does. It's it's so different. I think it can be even like a safe testing ground. Like, hey. How does a perfect stranger respond to this? But it's just mm. not going to be the same when you tell a friend. No. It's just not. No, and strangers have less skin in the game. I mean, one of the things that makes therapy arguably safer is that yeah. um, I'm going to tell people most of the time what's really going on because I don't have to live with the outcome when they leave my office. Now, I don't take that responsibility lightly and I don't treat people flippantly. But I am sometimes aware that I am better able to regard people because of the fact that I don't have to live with the crap they pull when they go home that night. You know what I mean? I can say, you know, you're a really valuable and worthwhile person um, because they're not yelling at me that night at home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's something valuable about that. But again, it's not an, it's not an, uh, and I mean, we know this about therapy, right? Sometimes we get fulfilled, but it's, it's by design. It's one way I'm here for you. The only thing I require is that you pay the bill. You know, and that's, that's uh, you know, inarguably what's supposed to make counseling safe. So, again, qualitatively different, though, than friendship, where there's a much more mutuality. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yes. Well, um, I could talk, we could talk all day, and we have, but it's, I'm looking at the clock, it's 40 minutes. People who listen to this podcast are used to half an hour. So, um, let We're... me ask you one more question. Okay. Um Obviously, this podcast is called Life in the Whirlwind. Mm-hmm. How would you, how would you, either in light of this or like what we've been talking about or just in general, given that we have you here, um, how would you define that for yourself or for those listening? What is Life in the Whirlwind? Mm. This is not a test. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking deeply about what it is that you said. Um, I think that I would have defined it differently at different points in my life. So maybe that's important to say where I define it now as a 38-year-old with two children and almost 10-year marriage and a 16-year career thus far in mental health. and um, so So it's different now, but where I'm at now is that I have a really solid sense of who I am, that I work really hard at trying to not be anybody but who I am. And that means that I accept a whole bunch of me that used to kind of reside in that shadow part we were talking about. That has all kinds of implications from my emotional state to my spirituality to my sexuality to all these things that um, once upon a time, I had a hundred reasons to kind of keep walled off, you know, back to self-awareness. Um, I, for the most part, by and large, I do pretty good at accepting that, which means that the whirlwind that's going on around me, I, I have a lot easier time knowing where the whirlwind begins and I end. Mm. You know, I li- actually listened to your podcast, you know this, so I remember the one time you were talking about the fact that you are the the mountain, not the weather. It's that kind of same principle. It's like um, these days whenever things at work or things in my friendship lives or things in my marriage get topsy-turvy, as they inevitably do, I have a much greater sense of clarity and sense of like inner, it's, it's like a stalwart sort of sense of self that I sometimes surprises the heck out of me whenever I'm, whenever it's happening. Like, wow, I'm surprised that I'm not any more rattled by this than I am. There are a few key things that can still rattle me 
Um, it's usually around some of my classic wounds. Father wound. Um, approval wounds. Stuff like that. But even those, I'm finding that my process is shorter. I go from like forgetting that I'm, you know, the mountain thinking I'm the weather uh, to rem- remembering that that's not the case a lot faster. Um, that's what it is to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I have to say that that is, it's so inspiring to watch that as your friend. Mm-hmm. And it not just inspiring to watch it happen for you, but it's like, it's so powerful as a mirror for me to Mm -hmm. say, Heather, you are okay. Like it's okay Mm -hmm. to just be who you are and tap into this enoughness that already exists. No matter Mm -hmm. what you do, this is not a transactional life that you're living. And I, you know, that's, I'm really not trying to blow smoke up your butt here, but truly it's (laughs) I don't feel that way. Thank you. It's just really, it's rare to find those who are practicing that. And it does give us the courage to try it ourselves. Yeah. It's pretty fundamental to having peace for me. I like, thank you for saying that. I, I, it really, I think there, I had a corner turn whenever a number of years ago I realized that God as I understand God was okay with me and like I and again I say this after having spent a lifetime in you know Christian systems and all that and I still identify that way Uh, but once I like once that realization sort of dawned on me I things got it became easier to sense. And it's, this doesn't preclude me when I say that when you say, you know, we're okay or God's okay with me, it doesn't preclude me from growth. It doesn't mean I don't have right. major right. deficits. doesn't mean I'm not going to have problems and need to work on things. And I'm not going to, man, I have blown it so royally in the past three or four years. I can't even, I don't even know where to begin, you know, mm. but just that I, in the middle of all of that, even when I lose my footing, I know that I haven't lost my footing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going through some really profound, you know, it's been a journey. It's been like a, a real, so, I mean, man, thank you for saying that. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's helpful to hear. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing it. So at the end of each podcast, I do an invitation. I was kind of wondering if you might want to invite people <laughs> to do something. If you don't, if you feel unready for that, I can always do that. But I thought I'd give you a shot, a shot at it. Hmm. I think that step zero with all the stuff is would be to invite you to begin to pay attention. to what happens whenever people attend to process and subtext in your life. When you're having a conversation and someone says, you know, I noticed that sometimes when we talk about this, you, whatever that is, begin to notice what your response is to being kind of known in that Mm -hmm. way. It's my opinion that this side of uh, whatever the next life consists of, that's the closest thing we have to a truly spiritual relationship is when someone deeply knows us like that. Mm-hmm. And so if just begin to notice, how do I respond to that? And is my response what I'd like to have or would I like to be more open or would I like to um, be able to be more receptive to people attending to the things about me that, are there that I don't always pay attention to, to really just being known. So it's an invitation to, to pay attention to what happens whenever someone appropriately and relationally, contextually, you know, like it's somebody that you know and trust points something out. What's your response? 
And is it the one you want? Great. That was lovely. Well, good. Way to think on the fly. Thanks. Yeah, that was, uh, you put me on the spot there. Bam. <laughs> you said no questions ahead of time. So I did. I didn't let her give me, yeah, I didn't let you give me questions. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I will close this uh, with a classic, the classic way of closing this. I'd like to offer you all, listeners and Ryan, a blessing here um, for this week. I did look up this Rumi quote. It is Rumi. Um, I sort of butchered it last week, but I want to re I want to reuse it this week because it's so profound and it's so connected to what we've been talking about. Um, the quote says, I'm going to remember it from memory here, but I think this is correct. Uh, we walk around with baskets full of loaves on our heads, yet we still go door to door knocking, asking for crusts. Attend to the basket on your own head. Knock at the door of your own heart. So I give that to you as a blessing this week. So for the reason, the sole reason being, even when it's nearly impossible to believe that you are okay already without this transactional approach to life, without inputting X to get Y, just as you are, just as the person you were made to be, uh, when you really tap into that, you are going to live your best available life. And perhaps process is part of that. So uh, I give you that blessing this week, and I hope you take Ryan up on this invitation. Uh, as usual, thank you for showing up. Ryan, thank you for showing up. You're welcome. In a very thank you. particular way this week. Thank and you. I'll see you all next week. Take great care.